If you decided to listen to this week's message of Daxadeo Fichard Park, we know that Jesus has placed something on your heart. So let's dive in. We're starting a series called My Story. So each of us has a story. Every one of us. Some of us are very keen to tell our stories, even if we do it over and over and over to the same person. Do you know people like that? They tell you the same story every time they see you. My friend, it's not because they forget they've told you in the past, it's because they're passionate about that story. (laughs) Some of us are not so keen to tell our stories. In our storyline, there are dark moments, there are trials, there are pain, there are tribulation, whatever. And sometimes it's more difficult to tell that part of our stories. And in this series, we want you to recognize, first of all, that God is the author of your story. Your story is not just and a random accident happened throughout your life. No, there is, there's a purpose behind your story, and it's this. God wants to reveal His glory through your story. Psalm 107, David writes, verse 2, he says, Let the redeemed of the Lord tell their story. Those He redeemed from the hand of the enemy. It's as if we are, in a sense, obligated to tell the whole deal of our lives, to make much of God, to tell of His grace, to tell of His goodness in our lives, to tell of His salvation in our lives. Our stories are a gift. Your story is special. Your story is unique. And something of God's character and personhood is being made known on this planet through your life. Sometimes we wish we could have someone else's story. But during this series, I want you to embrace your story. I want want you to see God's hand in your story. I I want you to see the outcome, the fruit of where your story is headed. Some of us here tonight are still in that very difficult part of our stories. And like last night, don't give up. That game was was more prophetic than you thought. There's hope. When South Africa scored that try, the whole nation experienced hope. What if God wants to come in this series and put down that try in your life to say, there's a glorious end. There's an end with love, grace, and joy. You see, every Every story starts with the main character, right? It starts with the main character, then they set the scene of this character, and then there's a piece of conflict or tension or some um, antagonist against the main character, and the whole movie builds up towards that point of the climax of the story. Then it's resolved and then you get, get the aftermath or the after, you know, what happened after that moment of climax and breakthrough. Imagine a story without that. Titanic. Rich people get on a boat. They never hit the iceberg. They just enjoy the journey. 
and get back to the harbor. Would you watch a movie like that? No. Lion King. Let's take Scar out of the movie. Then it's just this weird kiddie movie about a family of lions. No one would want to watch that. Why? Because there's power, there's significance, there's glory in the breakthrough. There's glory in that moment of salvation, of newness, of resolve. And to, during this series, we're going to look at some characters in the Bible and see how God moved in their stories. And more than that, we're going to call some people from our family to come and share their stories, which connects to those that we are going to preach about. So, drum roll, the story of the night is a guy by the name of Thomas. Have you heard of him? Thomas has got a bit of a bad reputation in the Christian faith. He's not the guy that you would name your chapel if you're Catholic, a St. Thomas chapel. No, why? Why is he not famous and uh, appreciated in the Christian faith? Why? Because we call him Doubting Thomas. Yeah, he's most the guy that didn't believe in Jesus. Poor man. <laughs> you, had, you were once also there, just remember. You also didn't believe in Jesus once, so don't judge him too quick. We're speaking about doubt. Maybe you're sitting here at this moment and you have a season of doubt. Maybe it is. Is there a real God out there? Is Jesus the only way to God? Uh, what, what should I believe, science or faith? Or maybe it's just in your life, at the moment, I'm not sure. I'm not that secure in my faith. I'm not sure if God is going to show up. I'm not sure if there's going to be a resolve for my story. Whatever the case may be, if you find yourself in doubt, it's totally normal as a Christian. Somehow, or even an unbeliever, listen here, somehow, Christianity has made doubt the unforgivable sin. You see, to sit here, you can't have doubts in God. You must be sorted out at least in that. You can have other challenges, you know. Uh, last night, you swear a bit in the game, you drank a bit too much, but if you doubt in God, please don't come to church. It's like we put that kind of issue in a different category. But listen to this, my friend. Jesus was so patient and compassionate towards people who doubted in him. There's this small letter in the New Testament called Jude. Not the bad Jude, the nice Jude. There's a verse in the middle of that little book, and it says the following. Be merciful to those who doubt. Not be judgmental, superior, look down on. Be merciful to those who doubt. And I want to take you to the story of Thomas. Maybe you can relate. Maybe you know people who can relate to his story. Are you ready? Let's turn to John chapter 20. I'm not going to have it on the screen. I would love for you to open up your Bible. Open up your app if you want to. Skip WhatsApp and open the Bible app. John chapter 20. 
verse 24 to 31. Let's read together. I'm reading from, for, uh, from the NIV, if you don't know. It's good to have an NIV. It's a, a very lovely translation to read. Let's read together. Verse 24. Now Thomas, who also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, he's very specific, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in a house again and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. <laughs> then Jesus said to Thomas, Put your finger here. He knew. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Two things that help me understand the scripture better, to understand the story of Thomas better. The first thing is this. The apostle John also wrote a gospel. Luke, Mark, Matthew, and John. But John was very selective in what he wrote down. If you actually study it a bit, you'll find that the gospel of John records only 21 days of the life of Jesus on earth. Seven miracles, seven parables, seven I am statements of who Jesus is. The commentators believe that this moment of Thomas is actually the climax or the pinnacle or the aha moment of this whole book. Yes, Thomas made it on top. You see, only what happened after this is only the reconciliation of Jesus and Peter by the boat. But this moment, everything that John has wrote in this letter or this gospel, built up to this moment of Thomas. You could see that because he is almost like ending his whole thought by saying, these things have I written to you so that you may believe that Jesus is the Son of God. End. Oh, and just afterthought, Jesus and Peter sorted out their conflict. Praise Jesus. They're friends again. So that's the first thing. Second thing, what helped me to understand this portion of Scripture better, is that Jesus put Thomas in what we call a double bind or a catch-22. He was stuck. What do I mean by that? Let me give you an example. Last night, rugby. As a man, I want to watch rugby. You probably also. Ladies, you also. But as a married guy, for instance, 
My friends would call me and say, listen here, when your kids are asleep, come with us. We want to watch the rugby on a big screen. Obviously, I have to go to my wife and tell her, lovey, boys was called, is it okay if I go and watch rugby with them? Wife answers me, uh, sure, yeah, no, it's fine, it's fine if you go. It's not fine. <laughs> I'm in a double bind. I'm in a catch-22. When I actually go or when I stay, it's a lose-lose. It's a when I stay, she would tell me, I didn't tell you to stay. Why don't you go? If I go, she would tell me, couldn't you see that I didn't want you to go? I am stuck. Brother, you're stuck. What do you do? Run, run for your life. <laughs> Peter, uh, uh, Jesus is doing the exact same thing with Thomas here. On the one hand, he's saying to Thomas, listen here, you don't have to touch me and see me for you to believe. On the other hand, he's saying to Thomas, come and touch me and put your hand where you want to so that you can believe. This is confusing. I've struggled with this, you know, to understand what is happening here. Why did Thomas wanted to touch the wounds of Jesus? It's because of this. Thomas missed a meeting. How many of you missed an important meeting lately? Then afterwards you go to your friends or the colleagues and you ask them, what did they say? What did they say? You know, no, you won't believe it. We're up for a raise of 20% in 2024. Your immediate reaction is what? <laughs> yeah, buddy, it's end of the year. Try to cheer me up. Send me the minutes. I will talk to the boss. Then I will believe you. It's exactly what happened to Thomas. When Jesus first appeared to his disciples when he was raised from the dead, Thomas was missing. At this meeting, Jesus also commissioned his disciples to go out and take the gospel beyond the borders of Jerusalem. Thomas missed that. So what is the thing then here? Here's the thing. To be a believer in Christ, you don't have to see him physically to believe. You can hear the records, the historical narrative. You can see the facts. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, believe in Christ. But listen to this. To be an apostle of that time, you needed all the evidence that you could get. Why? Because these guys, these the 11 guys, Judas lost the plot. The 11 guys that was there, had to be eyewitnesses, not only to the death of Jesus, but to the resurrection of Jesus. Paul said, if you don't believe that Christ is raised from the dead, you are busy with a dead religion. It's the pinnacle. It's the most important thing. And these guys had to see it for themselves. 
They've walked with Christ. They heard him speak. They even touched him. And then at this moment when he was raised from the dead, they had to believe, they had to see it for themselves. Why? Because these were the guys that would take this message into the world. Thomas had to be utterly convinced that Jesus was raised from the dead before he would go to the nations and tell them, listen here, um, my buddy Peter told me that Jesus rose from the dead. These guys had to be convinced. They had to be eyewitnesses to what happened. They, need, they needed every kind of proof. So poor Thomas, he missed it. The Bible says here, his friends, you know, tried to convince him. They tried to tell him over and over again, said the scriptures. Listen here, Thomas, we're not making this up. I, be, I, I promise you. Thomas is like, Matthew, weren't you a tax collector? I knew you before you knew Jesus, followed Jesus. You lied to me and my dad in terms of tax. I know you. Why should I believe you now? Peter. Weren't you the guy that, you know, chopped off that guy's ear? I don't trust you. I have to see it for myself. Then that moment came where Jesus revealed himself to Thomas. And listen to the response of Thomas. The declaration of faith. What is the response of Thomas? He says, my Lord, my God, that right there, my friend, is the climax and the pinnacle of the gospel of John. That, that declaration, that is the start of the gospel being taken into the nations. Why am I saying that? You know, previously, his other disciples were discussing, who do you think Jesus is? Some would say, you know, he's Isaiah the prophet. Some would say he's Elijah. Some would say, you know, what, what, what? And Jesus asked Peter and he says, who do you say I am? His disciples, Peter, bright spoke, answers, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. We hear that and we think, oh, Peter, Jesus actually says him, flesh and blood did not reveal that to you, my father in heaven. But listen to this. Peter is still referring to Jesus just as a fulfillment of Old Testament promises. The Messiah, the Son, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Thomas, however, he was the first person on this planet to declare Jesus the one who rose from the grave is my Lord. He's my God. That made all the difference. He's the king of my life. He's mine. He's not just some preacher or some religious teacher or figure. He's my Lord. I will bow before him. I will lay down my life for him. There's so much Locked up in just that one declaration of faith. My Lord, my God. We think that poor Thomas was a very bad disciple. It doesn't seem like that. You see, Thomas didn't doubt Jesus. He doubted in the message of his brothers. 
I want to venture so far to maybe say that for many people struggling with faith, struggling with doubt, it doesn't come from, it might not come from the revelation of Jesus, but it might many times come from the message and the lives of his people. If you truly are confronted with the resurrection himself, Jesus, the life, the best response is to say, my Lord, my God. But it's when we hear the message secondhand from people, normal people, doubt creeps in. When we see a person that calls himself a leader in God's church or a very spiritual person who claims to follow Jesus, but then somewhere along the way, their actions and words does not match up to the revelation of Jesus in the Gospels, they might start to doubt. Gandhi said, I love your Jesus. I struggle to trust your Christians. So friend, maybe that doubt that you have in Jesus, it might not come from him. It might come, it might come from the exposure that you had to second-hand messengers, messengers of him. In this series, we're going to do this very fun thing. We're going to share stories out of this congregation. And tonight, I want to welcome and invite my good friend, Joshua Jacoby, to join me on stage. You can applause him. Welcome to Sid, Josh. Thank you. What a handsome young guy. He's even got bling there going. Well done, well done. <laughs> I don't try. <laughs> Josh... I know you have a story of, of faith and of doubt. Yeah. And uh, won't you share just a bit with us tonight in terms of that, that season of doubt in your life when it comes to faith? So my story would start where I started doubting uh, roughly grade six. So I was raised and brought up in a Christian household. So I was used to church, I was used to the faith. And some, somewhere I started doubting. Miracles weren't happening or they weren't answered and I'm asking, okay, but why? Why doesn't it work? Didn't I pray hard enough? Didn't I believe hard enough? And that continued up until last year, beginning March. And I must say, looking back in my life, looking back to those moments, it's, it's the small things that get you. And those small things always bury deeper than you think. So one incident that happened um, was I, I was drowning. And I was drowning for 14 years, not knowing it. Depression, anxiety, doubt. And then came the addictions because of the doubt. And I was addicted to pornography for 14 years. 
I doubted my life could ever be saved. I doubted I was worthy of a life. I doubted that people loved or chose me as a friend for who I was. And then that climax came. And it wasn't a message. It wasn't a voice that I heard. It was just a feeling. An abnormal feeling of love. And if I had to compare where I was <laughs> on a dark scale, I would have said that I was the worst lost soul you could think of. And yet somehow God's light came and found me. And I have recently found others that were also lost. And I told them my story and they couldn't believe it. They looked to me and they said, but how? How through all that pain, all that damage, all that brokenness, how can you pull yourself together? How can you get up every day and do what you do? And my easiest answer I gave them was, why not me? God gives you something to bear and he knows you'll be able to handle it. Would you tell us a bit more about that moment of where the light you say entered into your life? So I was a very introverted person. I still am. If I don't know you very well. You're doing great in front of a crowd then. Just, you know, help this guy. (laughs) Yeah, so if you get to know me, I'm that weird guy that will always make the weird random jokes in the side, always try and get a conversation starting with a joke. Um, My girlfriend, actually, she's the witness to it. I actually scared her in the whole way <laughs> when we had a braai at the campus we were at. And our relationship started, our friendship actually started, I want to say from day one. And looking back, I can without a doubt say that's where the light came. I've been in several bad relationships. Thought it was the one, find out it's not. Made very stupid choices, went out drinking. First year student, obviously, what else are you gonna do? Um, And then she came along and she just asked, do you wanna come to church with me? What was that like the first time that you <laughs> that you walked into the doors of this church? My first reaction was when she asked me, it's like, you know me. Are you seriously trying to bring me to a church? But she asked me for two months straight every day we saw each other. You listen, keep on asking, keep on asking, keep on asking. So eventually, I just felt this weight just slowly started lifting off my shoulders. And I told her, I'll see you Sunday. 
she had this massive smile on her face. I mean, like, can't describe it. It feels like, yes, okay, what do I do now? <laughs> so then I came Sunday, um, and as soon as I walked on those steps, you were the first face that I met. And you didn't know me, you didn't know my backstory, and yet you accepted me into the church. And from that day on, just, <laughs> I've, I've been serving at a church, but I, know, I never thought it was actually meant for anything. I mean, I do tech, and I always thought, eh, I just love doing it, why don't I do it? And it's now my understanding that one of my gifts, one of my spiritual gifts is to serve. And you can ask anyone that's had stuff needed to do, yeah, events, planning, decorations. I'm always willing to come and just give my hands to assist. And I always thought myself of always being easy that way, like people could just manipulate me because of the past relationships. And as soon as I came to the church, Lorraine's sermon was yeah. And I felt my knees. And I asked God to forgive me. To save my life. And as soon as I was done getting up, I felt all that doubt. All that anxiety off my shoulders. And then came the moment where you guys had an opportunity to baptize. And I thought, that is what I need. Spiritually, I know I've been healed, I've been resaved, but I need to celebrate it. That's incredible. <laughs> and just to say, yes. <laughs> We've got a baptism coming up. I think it's the fifth. <laughs> if you, uh, maybe I'm not going to convince you, but this guy might. Do it. <laughs> <laughs> so I think my last question, Josh, what would you, how would you encourage people that are going through some of the things that you have been going through? Don't be scared to share. Because a lot of people think they're the only ones going through that. They think... I'm the only one that's struggling with being raised without a father. There is a lot of people that have depression and don't even know about it, have ADD and they don't even know about it. So for me, and for me, it nearly feels like I, I get shoved spiritually to a person that, that is in that situation. And all that I could say to them in that moment is that God loves you and he's never turned from you. Let's appreciate this man. What a story of grace. 
Thanks, Josh. What a guy. Sure. And I think what I so love about his story is just that the first experience that he had with Jesus was love, acceptance. And I think this is very important to understand because even in the story of Thomas, he was at a place of doubting. Jesus had so much compassion, mercy, grace with him in the midst of his struggle. He acknowledged him at that moment. He even <laughs> let him, you know, come and touch him for himself to see if he's real. Why is that? If God would, would have come to earth as his son Jesus, and he would just demand that all of us have faith in him and follow him. I know human beings too well to know that that would not happen. Even if he came as the miracle guy who did miracles before our eyes, I know some of us would not believe one of his own disciples, many of the people that claimed that he was from the devil. But what about this? What if God came down to this earth as a man? He hung on a cross. He died for my sins and yours. He rose again from the grave. To show us that life is within him. A wounded God. I assume that the only revelation of God that would draw us to himself is the wounded God. He gave up his life. He took our punishment. He took our pain. Before we even took one step towards him. While we were still enemies. Strangers. Sinners. He came and showed his heart towards us. That, my friend, might soften your heart for this wounded God. Million dollar question of the night. Did Thomas actually then, you know, put his finger into the hand of Christ? No. It's not recorded. <laughs> Jesus only invited him. And before he could even, he said, my Lord, my God. How many of us have these, you know, preconceived ideas or these lists of conditions that we take to him to say, if you do this, this, and this, then I will believe. <laughs> that conditions that you have in your mind, that maybe is your biggest blockage towards him. You have to let go of that. 
He wants to reveal himself to you as he wants to. You need to let him. <laughs> Ask him, Lord, show me. Only response is this. My Lord. My God. I want to ask the worship guys to join me on stage and we're going to have communion. What an incredible sacrament where we celebrate this life, this person, Jesus Christ, the wounded God. He says, do this in remembrance of me. What do we remember about Jesus? Yes, he's the victorious king, but he's the lamb that was slain. He's the victorious king, but the wounded God. I want to invite you quickly to stand to your feet. I'm going to pray for us. Then we're going to celebrate communion together. And maybe you're asking, this is weird because there are tables and I need to go and help myself. There's not a priest or a pastor that dishes it out. Yes, it's because of this. All of us, if we are in Jesus, have a seat at the table. It's not only the holy man that's got a seat. If you're a child of God, if you are in Christ, if you are a new creation, you have a seat. Jesus is telling you through that, you know, distorted sound. If you haven't listened to anything tonight, he's even, <laughs> maybe someone asked for that. I'm not sure. But anyway, we are here to celebrate. We celebrate his victory. We celebrate his love. We celebrate his invitation. And won't you come tonight to him and say, my Lord, my God. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, my prayer for each one of us. Even if we are here tonight doubting in you, Jesus, I pray that we would have mercy, that you would have mercy on those who doubt. God, I even pray for people here tonight, Lord, that is maybe in a season of doubt. God, that you would extend that hand of mercy towards them. And Jesus, I ask by your Holy Spirit, that we would encounter you like Josh had that moment of light entering into his darkness. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would give us the faith to respond by saying, Jesus, you are my Lord. You are my God. We worship you. Amen. You're welcome to make your way to one of the communion tables. Get some bread, get some juice, celebrate with someone. Jesus Christ is alive. What a message. If you feel that someone would benefit from this, share it with them. We are all about family on mission.